Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. We're, we're almost out of the Beatitudes. I, I had aspirations of um, trying to do the last three verses, uh, but it just doesn't work out that way. So this morning, we're going to look at uh, peacemakers and the peacemakers who shall be called sons of God. And this morning, as we're looking at peacemakers, I want you to consider, we don't really call them this or don't really have them anymore, shoemakers, right? Shoemakers. Um, Shoemakers understood shoes, right? They had to. They understood the shoe. They understood what a good shoe was, what good material for a shoe was. They, they understood the quality of work. They understood the best ways to make shoes, the best way to do all the things that they knew they had to do. Um, there's, not any, there's not a big difference from shoemakers to peacemakers. And this morning I want us to see um, the realities of a peacemaker. I want us to see... I want us to see Christian peace as it's spoken in Scripture. I want to see what peace with God looks like, how we obtain peace with God, if you even knew that you were at war with God. And I don't really want to say at war because I don't think that's a good um, antonym to peace. So when we talk about peace, I want you to have this picture in your mind. The lake at 6.30 in the morning and no one has been on it. And what that water looks like. That water that has not been messed with, swam through, driven through, it's flat and calm. I know for, uh, my dad used to tell me about He'd go skiing, and the best time to go skiing was before anybody else got out there. And it was just like glass. That, that glass-like water that we see and consider, that is peace. And that's what I want you to keep in mind as we consider the peace of God, the peace of Christ, and uh, citizens of the kingdom of God being peacemakers And like all other Beatitudes that we've seen, this isn't go and just go and do peace or go and make peace or go and be. This is where the difference between a shoemaker and a peacemaker comes in. Um, In order to be a peacemaker, you have to experience and know the peace of God. You have to know and understand what Christ has done to reconcile, and we're going to use this word a lot and go back and forth between understanding of the reconciliation of a relationship where there was enmity, there was strife, there was hatred and rebellion, And through Christ, this relationship is reconciled and then all of that stuff is wiped away and it's peaceful. The relationship between 
God and man in Christ Jesus. Um, I want to I want to just set up some tension before we move forward into into this because there is an elephant in the room when you talk about peace biblically. Uh, when when Jesus was born and the angels were on in the hills in their chorus singing to the shepherds. What did they say? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Fast forward some 30 years, and Jesus makes a statement that sounds a little bit odd compared to what the angels said. He says, I have not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. So there's this tension here between those two passages and some other passages we could look at. What are we talking about? Are those two different things? What is this peace that these angels were proclaiming? And why would Jesus say, I have not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword? So that answer will be partly found today in the peacemakers, but it will also be partly found next week, Lord willing, when we come together and we look at to conclude the Beatitudes when we see that these peacemakers will also be persecuted and reviled. So we'll kind of get a part of that answer this week and next week. So let's keep in mind the picture of peace, the lake. Uh, that word peace, can, you know, we kind of have this idea of one, quietness, rest, Set at one again, that really that image of that glass-like water without being disturbed is a good picture to keep in our mind. Let me pray real quick. God, as we speak of heavenly things, as we look to spiritual things, we need and seek your guidance that you would open the eyes of our hearts by the power of your spirit, revealing the truth of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Matthew 5, 9, just like all the other Beatitudes, has the same pattern. Blessed are. And then the characteristic or the type of person are the peacemakers. And then the fulfillment of the blessing, for they shall be called sons of God. And if I believe it was last Sunday during Sunday school, we, we looked at um, Psalm 119, and it has a few lines in it where it says, blessed are those, or blessed are those. And I just want to remind us of what it means when it says blessed are. And that word is happy. Happy are. Now what we talked about last week at Sunday School was that our happiness isn't found or we're not seeking happiness in these things around us. You don't look for happiness every day within your family because we determined they go away. Sometimes they 
the relationship severs even prior to death. Uh, we learned at our house yesterday that we don't look for happiness on a daily basis in our animals. <laughs> but, but even kids listen. To, 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 to want to be happy each day based off things that can fade or that will go away will, will bring about a temporary happiness, will bring about sorrow, not sorrow, will bring about depression, uh, and will bring about a false satisfaction. That's not to say that you cannot receive joy and happiness from the things of this world insofar as you know where they came from. Insofar as you know that when you receive joy from a pet or from a family member or from a sunset, that every good gift comes down from above. And we can glorify God in the temporary things and have happiness because not ultimately we're happy because of the sunset, but we see the glory of God in the shining ball of fire millions of miles away that gives life in order for us to live. And guess what? It is beautiful Amen. by God's hand. So happiness, biblical True happiness, joy, comes from eternal things. And first and foremost, through Jesus Christ. Temporary happiness is like sugar gum. Right? It's, it's great for about two minutes, and then after that, it's just annoying. And you have to spit it out. We don't want that. So, in our beatitude today, true happiness comes to the peacemakers who ultimately have peace with God. And that'll be the first thing we look at. But I want to let you know the rest that we'll see not only have the peacemakers, the reality of peacemakers have peace with God, this is through the gospel. And the blessing of that is that they are no longer at enmity. They're no longer at strife with God. They're no longer enemies of God, but sons and daughters of God. And number two, they have peace. They have the peace. Peacemakers have the peace of Jesus within them. Given to them. They're, they're co-heirs of this peace that Jesus has secured by his blood. This is an internal peace. And the third is that the peacemakers who have the peace of who have have the peace with God, who have the peace of Jesus, seek to share and show that peace in their lives. And as a son of God and a daughter of God, if you seek to share and to show that peace, you will suffer like your elder brother, which is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. 
And this is an ex- external peace that we seek to have with others. So number one, they have peace with God. Um, since the fall in the garden, the natural state of man is at unrest with God. So imagine you're at the lake and you see that pure glass-like water and then here comes Shepherd running right behind you and he just jumps and splashes and kicks and that water is just a havoc. It is no longer at rest. It is no longer resembling peace, but it is resembling turmoil. This is the natural state of man post-fall outside of Christ. Turmoil. The water is a mess. No peace. Romans 5 makes it clear that man in his sin is at enmity with God. He is a rebel. He is an enemy Now think about that for a second. Did you ever consider, and I hope you have, but maybe some of you haven't, that you as a human being in your sin is an enemy of God? It's not a fun thing to say or to talk talk about, but it is the truth of who we are as people outside of Christ, an enemy of God. And so what we do as, as sinful people, we see that water, we're like shepherd. He did it for fun, but we're just doing it to be ugly and rebellious. That's our nature outside of Christ post-fall. By nature, we are children of wrath following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, following our own desires and our own lusts. And James 4 says, if you have fellowship or friendship with the world, you have enmity with God. We're just stirring up all kinds of strife. No peace between God and man. But, but, by His grace and for His glory, God sought peace. See that? God sought peace. But even really, it's more than that. God made the peace. He didn't just say, I want peace with man. He goes, I'm going to get peace with man. I'm going to have it. I'm going to make it. I'm not going to wait upon them, but I'm going to go and get them. I'm going to give them my peace so that we can be reconciled. So that our relationship can be calm with no more strife, no more turmoil. And these two themes of reconciliation and peace, reconciliation and peace go together. I told you the story a few weeks ago about uh, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. How they were friends, became bitter enemies over time. But as in their old age and writing back and forth... In letters, they became friends again. They were reconciled. If you wanted to understand that word reconciled, enemies becoming friends. Reconciliation. And when enemies, when you're at a state of, of 
of battle with enemies, strife. There is no peace. But in reconciliation, that is when peace exists. Only when peace exists. See, God sent His Son in order that He might reconcile Himself to <laughs> sinful man. That He would have peace with God. And that's why the angels declared on those hillsides, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, because Jesus had been born. Jesus came and took residence on earth as man for the sake of peace with God. That's why they could sing what they sung that night. But even then, the shepherds didn't quite understand it all. They didn't understand that 30-some years later that this baby was going to be executed, murdered on a cross for the sake of even their peace that night. They didn't understand that. But we have the privilege of the Word of God to show us why how how we have obtained peace turn to Romans chapter 5 I'm just going to do this verse quickly so we can finish this portion up Romans 5 starting in verse 1 notice when we read the first two verses, the language. Let's consider this. If you were, if you were here last week, we talked about um, because of our impure hearts, because of our, our nature, because of our sin, we are not allowed into the presence of God. That's still, again, that idea of, hey, we have strife here. I don't... You cannot come in. Right? Not, enemies don't open their doors to one another and say, come and dine. That's not typical enemy protocol. There's no access to God for His enemy. But look what He's done in Jesus Christ. Five, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, meaning you have been counted righteous, you have been counted good, not that you are, but you have been counted good before God. Since we have been justified by faith, there is that what we were thinking about in Sunday school, that faith. Since we have been justified by faith, not by our works, not by our, our efforts, not by our lineage, but by faith. This is how we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Peace and access through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But how did He do it? Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8. 
But God shows His love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So God's enemies will receive wrath. But look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. While we were His enemy, there was no peace. But yet, God sent His Son to die upon a cross. Not for a good man or good woman, but for sinners, for His enemies, for the rebels. We read... No, we didn't read that this morning. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Let me just read a few verses here. Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you get to any of the books that start with a T, you've gone too far. Colossians 1 verse 19. This is just declaring the work of God to make peace with His enemies. To make peace with the hostile. And that, was a, that was a big word uh, during the war in Iraq. Hostiles. The enemy. I heard it over and over again. They were hostile. Verse 19. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is Jesus and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. We did read this earlier. Yeah. Whether on earth or in heaven, doing what? Making peace by the blood of, of the cross. Now, that, this, those words should make you, like, shake. Peace by the blood of the cross. Blood on a cross, that is not peaceful. There is nothing about that that is calm, that makes you think, oh, God, you're... That is such a beautiful thing. It's so peaceful and calm. We have peace with God because of what happened to the Son of God. And it was not peaceful at all. By the blood. blood should make you cringe when you see this. When you see that word blood in Scripture, it should give you it should make you shudder. It's death. We have peace. He's making peace by the blood of the cross. And verse 21 emphasizes who it's for. And you, who were once alienated, alienated and hostile in mind, hostile, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh, by his death. What a what a glorious, awful thing. The cross of Christ. And in this, 
hostile, alienated, doing evil deeds. Look back at verse 2 in chapter 1 of Colossians. What does, what does Paul call them? Saints and faithful brothers. This isn't based on them seeking peace or them seeking to be something or trying to be something. It is based on what Christ has done upon the cross even when they were hostile, alienated, and doing evil deeds. Because of Christ, they are now able to be called not enemies, but brothers. Not sinners, but saints. And there is peace. Look at the next verse, at the end of that verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. I won't go there, but Ephesians 2 reminds, Paul reminds the Ephesians that you were once far off. You were once alienated. But God has brought you near and made peace with you. Now, I want, I'll, I'll go through this one quickly and maybe we'll touch on it again another time. So peacemakers have peace with God, but peacemakers also have, they have the peace of Jesus. They have the peace of Jesus. And this is a promise from Jesus to his disciples. But like a shoemaker must be acquainted with all the things, a sh- all, the th- all things shoes, he must also have the tools. You can't be like, I'm going to be a shoemaker because I know a lot about it, but I don't own any tools to actually make shoes. So, to be a peacemaker, you must know the peace of God through Jesus Christ. But you must also have the peace of Christ. This is our tool, the peace of Christ. He says um, in John 14, 27, peace I leave you, or peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And basically, if you go and look at John 14, what he's saying to the disciples who are kind of shaken because they're really figuring out that Jesus is leaving. And he says, my peace I leave with you. In that context, he says, because I'm giving you something. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And this is how you will have my peace is by the helper who I am giving to you. To have the peace of Jesus is to have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ within you. But he also says something after that verse that isn't just about having the Holy Spirit, but he gives us his peace in giving us the promise of what is to come. And that is... He will return. Now how peace, how, how much peace can we take in that? He left. And this is something that we, we didn't have to kind of work through. The apostles, they had him for three years. And he's like, I'm out of here. Well, what are you going to, like, we need something. He goes, I'm, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to give you my spirit and I give you the promise of my return. And a third thing he tells them to give them peace, his peace, because where's he leaving them? 
in this messed up world. But he finishes in John 16. So if you read 14, 15, and 16, you see this theme throughout. He tells them and at the end of John 16, he doesn't necessarily, I don't think he uses the word, well, he does use the word peace. Let me just read it. I don't misquote it here. He says this. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. He's going to be scattered in this world. And he's going to be gone physically. Yet, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What are you afraid of tomorrow, today? What struggles in this world give you fear? Fear not. Fear not. Mom, dad, raising your kids. You could live a life of fear or you can know that Christ has overcome this world and then you can be a faithful mom and dad and rely on the Lord. You go to work, you're scared of what might happen or that mean boss, whatever it might be. Fear not, fear not. Live in the peace of Christ that he has given us the indwelling of his Holy Spirit with the unchanging promises that he is coming back and that he has overcome the world. Lastly, the peacemakers share the peace of God and show the peace of Christ. How do you really know if someone's a shoemaker? Because they tell you what they know about shoes. Or maybe they have a tool that they know can make shoes and they show it to you. How about you see them make a shoe? Then you know someone's a shoemaker. How do we know we're peacemakers? How do you know someone is a peacemaker? Not because they know the product, not because they know the process. We can't claim to have peace with God or possess the peace of Christ and peace not flow from us. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, maybe. The idea of the Spirit dwelling in us and out of the heart will flow rivers of living waters. Do you think that would mean you could live a life and not be peaceable? I don't think so. So the question I would ask with this is, does peace follow you? Um, or does turmoil and strife follow you? Do people feel at unrest around you? Are you one to stir the pot more often than not? 
are you a person of peace? Regardless of what people think about our faith, whether they want to scrutinize our doctrine, what we don't want them to be able to deny is that we are people of peace. And they will be attracted to that. Not always, but most of the time, people are attracted to people who are peaceable. But as we'll see next week, there will be times of persecution and reviling, name-calling, when you try to be a peacemaker, when you try to be a peacemaker for the sake of Christ. Peace among believers. Just quickly, three things to think about as peacemakers. Peace among believers. Let me read this to you. I'll read these. We don't have to turn. They write, write these down and, and take a look at them later. We don't, for the sake of time, I'll just read them. Romans 14, verses 13 through 19. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one... Remember, this is... Peace among believers. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling, stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. If your brother, that's the, that's the language of a brother or sister in Christ, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. But what you eat, do not destroy the one. But by what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let, so then let us pursue what makes peace, and for mutual upbuilding. When we come together as the body of Christ, let us pursue what makes peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do you know how many times in our car we have to, talk, we have to say something to our children? D does that fit that mold, what you just said? Does that make for peace and mutual upbuilding? So I'll ask us as we come together, the words that we speak to one another, does it fit that verse? We have to guard our hearts when we come together for the sake of doing business together. On our business meetings. Do what we say makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Even in a disagreement. We must be peacemakers among one another. Number two. Peacemakers among Everyone. Hebrews 12, 14. Again, you uh, look these up this week. Hebrews 12, 14. This is pretty cut and dry. Strive for peace with everyone. There's not really much to add to that. Strive for peace for everyone. We're going to see next week. 
that people could care less about having peace with you sometimes. We're also going to see that the second half of that tension, that Jesus came not to bring peace to the earth, but division, is that the truth of God will divide and does shake up the waters. Truth divides. You got sheep, you got goats. You got fruits, you got thorns. But we don't go into those situations ready to churn up the water. When the water gets churned, we stand still in the peace of God and we are waiting and acting as Christ, sharing the peace that we have received. If they want to keep kicking, let them keep kicking. Do not let it cause us to kick back. Do not let the world's sin cause you to act like the world. Guess what? The world is going to sin. The world is going to be the world. But the church must not be like the world. And lastly, maybe most important, you have a message of peace. The passage we read during our songs, 2 Corinthians 5, we are called to be messengers of reconciliation. Most importantly, peace with God. You hold the message of peace with God. Share it. That passage says that we are ambassadors. What is the purpose of an ambassador? For there to be peace. We are ambassadors for Christ in a foreign nation that is not our home. What does a foreign nation think of ambassadors that go amok and and act wild? What are they doing? They are a poor representation of their nation of their leadership. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Are we going to be ambassadors in this world that don't reflect our High King? Are we going to strive to look like the Prince of Peace as we live in this world? And hey, and tell of the Prince of Peace. Let me read this last verse and I'll pray. Keep in mind, first first off, that the truth does divide. There are sheep and there are goats. There is fruit and there is thorns. There's wheat and there is chaff. The Word of God divides. And if you are on the wrong side of that, You are an enemy of God today. And my message to you is turn, turn, and believe in what Christ has done. Now, 
You might say, Luke, I just really need you to tell me a little bit more on what it looks like to be peaceable. Well, hear me out. James 3, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Let me remind you, that's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that boast in false and falseness. That does not conduct itself in meekness. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. The waters will be churning. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, it's gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Now here's the icing on the cake. A harvest of righteousness is sown. Gardeners, the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want to live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ? You want people to come to Christ. You want to be a servant of the Lord. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace only by those who make peace. And the only people who can make that type of peace are the ones who know the peace of God through Jesus Christ and have been given the peace of Christ by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And if that is not you, you believe and repent in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cry out to Him, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. I am unclean. Wash me, cleanse me of all my impurities and iniquities. And you will be a son of God. You will be a daughter of God. Make that confession today. Be baptized in telling the world that you have been washed, not by water, but by the blood of Christ. Let's pray.